Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. The sport is just going to die if they don't break the designated hitter to the National League. We got fresh, frozen <laughs> strawberry margaritas, and Terry's bringing us chips and salsa all night long. Nick's hips do not lie. <laughs> yeah. I got a MF wagon. <laughs> like, let's be real. <laughs> the Washington Nationals are the world Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Half Street High Heat. You can find them wherever your podcasts are downloaded or sold. With me, as always, is Ray Knight. Uh, Johnny, I think this is going to be a great episode. I do. They're going to talk baseball, Johnny. And the baseball is the reason they talk and what they talk about. I think that's important to talk about baseball. And if you're a baseball podcast, you're going to end up talking lots of baseball. Well, that's awesome. Thank you very much, Johnny and Ray. Bob Carpenter with you here. And now... What's up, everyone? Thank you for listening to another episode of Half Street High Heat presented by Manscaped. I'm hosting it today. And as always, we got Nick and my, don't have a word for her, Amanda <laughs> co-host. I tried. I tried to do the thing. You guys can follow the podcast account on Twitter at Half Street High Heat. And make sure you head on over to HalfStreetHighHeat.com to keep up with all of our almost daily articles and new episodes. How you guys doing? Doing great. Doing great. Had fun watching the All-Star stuff. I actually, yes. Yeah, I didn't get to watch the All-Star game because I had a game myself. But the Derby, and maybe it's recency bias, maybe it's because we didn't have one last year, but the Derby seemed like one of the more entertaining derbies in recent history, outside of the one, you know, we attended live because yeah, nothing, nothing will, will ever, ever compare. <laughs> but well, yeah, I mean, that was that was a special one. Right, right. But um, this one, just watching it felt so, you know, captivating. And I loved it. I loved every minute of it. And every yeah, round, every round was close. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Every round was close. I, uh, I really did enjoy it. I always like the Derby. It's truly one of my favorite like exhibition things that happens in sports oh, and of course we'll talk a little bit more about it later but soto put on a hell of a show mm-hmm. he did and always the best part of the all-star games and the home run derby is we get to hear field chatter because guys are mic'd up xander bogart struck out and joe buck was laughing in his ear um fernando tatis jr was talking to joe buck on the field and it's honestly really fun it makes the all-star game special so i want to ask you guys do you think players should be mic'd up during the regular season like we see in the All-Star game? I, I obviously love it. Uh, I think it's, you know, a great way to not only market the game, but market your players and say you have a small market team. Um, Mike Trout might not be the best example because if you know baseball, you you know Mike Trout. Uh, but if you have... Um, a personality on a small market team, like let's just say Jose Ramirez on the Indians who have 
up until recently been pretty pretty solid and a contender every year. Give Jose Ramirez a hot mic and let him show his personality. Or maybe Lindor would have been a better example when he was on Cleveland. Like one of the game's best and most fun athletes, but he's in Cleveland, so it's a small market. Give him a mic on, you know, a Wednesday night baseball game to to draw viewership and allow fans to get to know the players better. It It's more it would be more like the nba in that regard because if you look at the nba it seems like you have more fans of players than you do of teams and i feel like that would be actually a smart strategy for baseball to adopt because we've talked about it before baseball is so regional that you know you if you're on the east coast you don't know a ton about west coast teams and vice versa and if you're in the midwest you're just dead to baseball <laughs> elsewhere pretty much yeah. um but if you can become fans of players uh uh you know Whit Merrifield um Trevor Story uh you know anyone else that you might not see all that often especially on the east coast because the we're not staying up for 10 o'clock games and watching the West coast action. So if you come become fans of players, that's going to get you invested into the teams, invested into the game more. And I think a hot mic on, on some games, not every game, but some games would be a great way to do it. Yeah, actually I do agree. I think um, adopting smart strategies to grow the game is not really baseball's thing, but I do think this would be one. Mm-hmm. Um, it was really cool to watch when um, Max Scherzer struck out Sander Bogarts and, he was laughing at his ear and going, he got you. That was hysterical. Um, yeah, I love it, except I think it could be overdone and it could lose its specialness if right. you did it all the time. But I think if you had maybe like one game a week where you mic'd up a player for an inning or you said, hey, in this game, every inning, one player's mic'd up. I think a mm-hmm. lot of player fans, myself included, even if it's not a team I cared about, I would tune in for that. Said, hey, mm-hmm. this is the mic'd up game this week. Let's, you know, I'm going to tune in and watch it and see who they mic up each inning and one thing I would change, though, is I don't know how much I would want them actually the announcer talking to the player. Yeah, that and can get I, a I little would much. Love, yeah, I think it's a little bit much. And I think if you could just listen to the players and what they say to each other and how that all goes, that would have its own interest. I think you could maybe the beginning, let's say you had one player mic up each inning, and then at the beginning maybe there was a little bit of chatter with the announcers, and then after that the announcers just shut up and let the, the, let the fans hear the sounds of the game from mm-hmm. the from the player's perspective i think that would be awesome did think, you guys go ahead ryan i was gonna say i think a cool way of doing it would kind of just be like how the nfl does they have those big mics on the side oh and the boom every, mics yeah. yeah then every single week they post like the best of like players mic'd up every single week on youtube i think baseball doing something like that would be pretty cool that just would like be a, awesome like entire compilation of guys just mic'd up. So doing it is kind of like how the NFL does. I think that'd be pretty cool. I will watch every single one of those videos because I already watch a lot of the NFL mics up, but I think that'd be pretty cool. That's actually a great segue to the point I was going to bring up. Did you, either of you guys watch uh, any of the, the futures game on Sunday or Sunday? I was working. And so I was listening to it on the radio, but I didn't get a chance to watch it. Bits and pieces. So one thing I really liked, and I, I don't know if it was on purpose or just the way that the mics are set up or, you know, if the first baseman on, uh, I guess it was the NL, 
whoever he was. I don't know if he had a hot mic, but you got a lot of the conversations at first base between the first baseman and whoever was on base. Oh, I love and Eduardo, I believe it was Eduardo Perez was talking about that's where a lot of the conversations happened because usually uh, the guy on first base, he's happy he got there. He got a knock. He got a, a walk or whatever. So he's usually in a chatty mood. And if you have a, a first baseman with personality, personality like this guy did you get a lot of conversation so i think that would be a great opportunity mm-hmm. but uh you know what ryan said it, it would be um another way to reach the same means of promoting players and showing the personality that baseball sorely lacks is posting those clips weekly or whatever or amanda if you wanted to do it uh kind of your uh idea Maybe they just pair with YouTube and for YouTube's free game of the day or free game of the week, YouTube has uh, a player that's mic'd up or, you know, MLB TV has a player that's mic'd up for their free game of the day. However they want to do it, there, there's ways to do it where for each team, it wouldn't be every game, but for the fans, yeah, the consumer, you get something multiple times a week or at the very least once a week so you get to um digest that that content well as well that'd be great one of my favorite mic'd up clips ever i it was from um spring training i believe mookie was in boston at the time but he's playing right field and uh he was actually talking to the announcers and a ball's hit over his head and he's running towards it he's like oh i'm not gonna get to this one fellas like as he's running towards the ball awesome it was hilarious and that was really where my love affair with mookie started was because of that moment so i mean i I can tell you right here like a mic'd up mic'd up moment made me a fan of a player yeah, I think it's an excellent point that those kinds of where you connect with someone's personality really does go a long way. Speaking of people with great personalities at first base, did you, I know you weren't there, Nick, I don't know if you saw it, Ryan, the um, the part where Aaron Judge was on first talking to Freddie Freeman? No, I, I, I did not it see that. It was so funny. So Judge gets Judge gets to first base and he get, he's standing there and, and Freddie Freeman goes, couple of guys with perfect teeth here is all I'm saying. <laughs> and Aaron Judge is like, yeah, we look good. And he goes, yeah, we do. <laughs> it's like, yeah. what the hell? Judge with new teeth looks so weird. Yeah, he does. I don't know. It's just hysterical. Freddie Freeman is a prince. That guy is my favorite non-nat. I just, personality-wise, he's he's hilarious and so likable. He's so one of the players on that the they do not write. They don't market him nearly the way they should he's one of many many players they could market better but anyway we're a little off topic but to their credit though they have done a fairly good job of marketing otani and tatis which i think ryan actually mentioned so i'm not trying to you know uh, steal his thunder but they could only go up from how much they marketed players before but otani and tatis are obviously very good for the game and we'll get into that as we recap the the all-star break but Uh, They've done a pretty good job marking those two, which are obviously two faces of the game currently. Agreed. And moving on to what is undoubtedly the best time of year, it's draft season. NFL does this absolutely fantastically, and I love it. They have location drafts. MLB just did a special type of draft. They actually had ESPN covering it for once, and it was kind of more enjoyable to watch. It's been pretty boring in years past, and no one really cares. So... Should MLB draft do location drafts every single year like the NFL did? It was in Cleveland this year, and I think next year's NFL draft is in Vegas. 
should MLB do these type of drafts where, you know what, the guy, uh, the team that's hosting the All-Star game, you're also going to host a draft. Yes. Yes, they should. I think it was awesome. It was so much more interesting and entertaining this year than it's it's been in the past. And, you know, the whole get also for the draftees, the ones who are going to go really high. I know some of those guys were there at the All-Star game, which is a really cool thing, too. Um, I just I thought it was awesome. There's this to me is an absolute no brainer. The NFL has managed to make their draft into a major event that makes them a ton of money. So there's no reason in the world why baseball shouldn't do that. And to introduce those players, especially the ones that go in the first round, to the baseball world at large, many of whom don't follow prospects. So for a lot of people who are tuning in for the All-Star festivities, who may be more casual baseball fans or you know, may never know who a player's name if he didn't go to their team, um, I think it, it, gives, it gives you a glimpse at those players of the future, and that can only be good for the game. I agree. It makes all the sense in the world to pair it with the All-Star game and make it a traveling event like the All-Star game is because obviously the All-Star game is in a different location every year and you have teams actually bidding for it. They want it there. Um, so it's a perfect platform to introduce, like Amanda said, these prospects to the baseball world, but also the players. Think about how much the prospects would get out of picking, you know, Freddie Freeman's brain for five minutes, picking Max Scherzer's brain for five minutes. And these vets, the, the guys that have been there, done that, and also have grinded through the minor leagues, they're, they're going to be willing to talk to these prospects and willing to, to share advice and, you know, allow their brains to be picked and whatnot. So I think the, the prospects themselves would get a lot out of it and they would have incentive to actually go to the event because as we see with the NFL and sometimes the NBA, sometimes the, the top prospects, the quote unquote lottery picks that would or are projected to go high in the draft. They tend, they might sit out and just choose to be with their family, which is fine. But uh, in terms of, Amanda, like you said, trying to introduce these prospects to the baseball world, there would be incentive for the players to actually attend the draft wherever it may be at that all-star break. Um, it, it would be incentive Who wouldn't to want go. to go to an all-star game? <laughs> exactly. So, uh, yeah, it, it just makes too much sense. So I hope that is something they, uh, they consider because uh, this year with specifically the two Vanderbilt pitchers, Jack Leiter and Kamar Rocker, it seemed like you had – two of the biggest name prospects since Bryce Harper and Steven Strasburg, if we're being real, like there, there hasn't been that level prospect in quite some time, at least with, with the hype and the, the name recognition. And obviously as the college world series grows, you're going to get more of those guys. So I hope uh, baseball does a better job of promoting college baseball as well. And, you know, Hold your breath. Build, building them up. But, uh, yeah, that, that's a, a long conversation. But, yeah, to answer the question, it just makes all the sense in the world. So I, I hope this is something they uh, um, they consider. Because for the fans that are attending the All-Star game, they're going to be like, oh, hey, the draft is going on here, too. Let's go check out the draft. And then you get more fans involved in the draft process and process as well. Just makes too much sense. Well, the problem is it makes too much sense. Major League Baseball is not going to do it. Mm -hmm. um, but, yeah, I mean, the All-Star game in the whole entire week is so special. As we saw, Juan Soto participated in the Home Run Derby. Um, he didn't win, unlike a form in that in 2018, so maybe he's just a loser. But the Home Run <laughs> Derby was so special. Otani was in it. That was the second time he's ever taken batting practice, and it kind of showed. The man just does not take batting practice. He's that good. But 
Shohei Otani's going to save baseball. Well, I'll, I'll touch on that in the later. But what did you guys think of Juan Soto's first time ever being in the home run derby? Oh, it was awesome. It was awesome. He, that first, all I could think of during that first round performance was I wish this wasn't happening in the first round. It was so unbelievable. It, the, when it went to a tie, you know, it was so dramatic when Otani was, it looked like he wasn't going to get anywhere close to him. And then he poured it on at the end. And then you thought that was that last one going to go out. I mean, it was perfect drama. And then for them to tie twice and, and then for Soto to win in advance. I mean, obviously we know he didn't get past Alonzo, but it was awesome. It was great as a Nats fan and as a Soto fan, but just for baseball, I mean, what an exciting moment that is going to, I think in, in a year where Soto hasn't been as wonderful as everybody expected him to be. And for people who maybe don't know Soto that well, because, you know, they don't follow the Nats and because other than the, the 2019 World Series, he hasn't really been on the national stage. I think it was it was great for Soto. It was great for everybody to watch. Yeah, I, I think it was awesome. I, I really hope he chooses to do it again. One, it's exciting for us as Nats fans uh, to do it. And right now he seems like the only option for us, at least, you know, in the immediate future to to participate in the Derby. But he's also really damn good at it. So we would love to see him and he would have a legitimate chance of winning every single year. Next year, all I can think about is next year is at Dodger Stadium. Fernando Tatis has already hinted that he's going to do it. He would have done it this year if his shoulder, if he didn't have that lingering shoulder problem. Um, so I think Fernando Tatis is going to do it, but also, I mean, it's Dodger stadium. We all know what Juan Soto did there. So it'd be awesome to see him do it again. So I think this was just the, uh, you know, warm warm up to to something. And and we, from what we've been able to see with Juan and especially at events like the home run derby, his personality really shows. And as, um, you know, players like Fernando Tatis, Vladdy, uh, become more household names and are promoted more. Juan Soto is going to be in that conversation too. So it's going to be like one big party, but also a, a kind of internal competition between these guys. So if Tatis does it, Juan's going to want to do it. Vladdy's going to want to do it. And then it becomes such a big main stage thing that you, you it, it, it already is must see TV, but I don't know what's above that. Like <laughs> interrupting your, your local televised program for the home run derby type, level stuff when those three guys do it so yeah I, I loved Juan's performance uh but more so I loved his personality and getting to see him interact with people like Tatis and other major major stars around the game it was awesome loved it absolutely loved it and then the next night Max Scherzer made his fourth career start in the all-star game Phillies fans are absolutely furious about it and he almost died Vlad Jr. almost killed him and he's screaming line drive right back at the mound. The picture of of Vlad like yelling when he's coming out of the box is absolutely hilarious. And then they gave him a nice hug, which like you don't really see in a normal Max Scherzer start because he's such a psychopath. Like if anyone comes near him, I feel like he would try to bite him. But it's just showing like how much more fun it is. And Juan, of course, in true Nats fashion, walked twice to load the bases and they mm-hmm. didn't score. Chris Bryant is really going to fit in on this team because, you know, stranded quite a lot of runners and just two <laughs> at-bats. Yeah. And then we didn't see the first Trey at-bat. Um, they were coming back from commercial late. He went 0 for 2 and ended the game. But it was nice for the Nats to be there, especially with how crappy the season has gone so far. Yeah, it definitely was. And uh, 
I'd like to point out that Blatty did go on to win the MVP. In a 470-foot tank. Yeah. And I would like to point out, if we go back just for a moment to our um, All-Star Game predictions, winning pitcher, losing pitcher, and MVP, I got them all. So I don't know if we're keeping track, but for once, you guys have to admit, I got more of them right than you did. Although, Nick, you did pick Alonzo to win the Derby. Or you picked him as the runner-up, I think. Uh, yeah, but I drafted him in in the draft we do, so. Yeah. Uh, you got all three, right? I did. That Corbin Burns fake. was the losing pitcher. Otani was the winning pitcher. She, she has access to the website, so she went back and edited it. Yeah, oh, she, she went back and edited it. You guys just can never admit it. Never admit but it. It was funny because, like I said, I unfortunately missed the All-Star, or most of the All-Star game. I caught the last two innings, mm-hmm. and by that point, all the damage had been done. Um, but I looked at the box score, and I was like, damn, Chris Bryant left five on base. He's already fitting in as a future net, and uh, – it was a joke, like, I just said in my house, myself, and I was going to tweet it. I was like, ah, oh, damn, four of the people already tweeted it, like, yeah. I'm late to the party. But it was pretty funny. It was, yeah, and uh, that was a lot of runners left on base. I was thinking the same <laughs> thing. It was uh, it was funny, though, very Juan Soto to walk twice to load the bases. I was mm-hmm. like, it's not that exciting, but it's it's Juan Soto things. Love yeah. Juan Soto things. Mm-hmm. All-Star game's fun, but, like, at some point, the pitchers just are too good. And it kind of lags a little bit for me, but I always like watching the first couple, you know, innings. But something I will always watch, if you guys listen to this, you know, I love drafts. In the rest of our show, it's draft time. The Washington Nationals finish up their 20-round draft. Last year, it was only five rounds, but this year it was 20. And they went pretty position player heavy. They went seven of the first 10 picks on position players, which is absolutely fantastic because they had quite literally no good position players. I mean, Luis, Luis Garcia, but like, that's it. Um, the 11th pick Brady house fell to them, which is very exciting. He was projected to go as high as three in some drafts, but they got him at 11. He's six, four, He's a shortstop, but probably going to move him over to third base. Cause that is a big boy playing shortstop. Definitely going to move him over. And then one of my favorite picks um, that I really like is that happened in the second round. That is Dalen Lyle. He is one of the best hitters in high school. Again, another young guy we're not going to see for a while. He's a lefty, 18 years old, has a pure bat, minus arm, future left fielder with Juan Soto being a right. And then also another good Questionable, not questionable, but like the first pitcher they took was in the fourth round, Dustin Sains. He's a left-handed pitcher out of Texas. This was the first year he was a starter. He's been a reliever every other year. He has a decent fastball, but he is a fantastic, fantastic wipeout slider. It has elite break and vertically and horizontally. So that's going to be very interesting to see his projection where he ends up, whether it's bullpen or starting, but Overall, it seems like it's a pretty good draft. They went uh, very balanced with what they did. And uh, the MLB draft, for those who don't know, is different from your typical NFL or uh, NBA draft. And you'll, you might have heard teams going under slot. Each slot, so every uh, draft position has a certain assigned numerical value, what that slot gets paid. And if a player like Brady House falls to 11 when he was projected to go as high as three, like Ryan said, he's going to 
command more money than slot 11 uh, would slot, not to use the same word twice. So you kind of have to readjust your budget to pay more for Brady House, and then you want to, I don't want to say reach, but for lack of a better word, you want to reach in the second round or the third round so that way you can save a little bit of money and it all balances out. So they did a great job of that. They went, Brady House fell to them, and he was obviously just too good of a talent to pass on. So great job there. But then they did a great job of balancing their next uh, three picks, which they went, quote, unquote, under slot so that they would have money to sign Brady House, hopefully. We'll, we'll be monitoring that until you know, the deal is official, but they didn't sacrifice the talent. It wasn't a reach like you hear in, like I said, the NFL or NBA draft where it's just like, why are they reaching so high on this guy? This guy they could have gotten him, you know, in two rounds or whatever. A, a reach is not a bad thing because you get to save money. And like Ryan said, the guys they took actually have good upside and with the two pitchers, the two first pitchers they took, uh, Ryan highlighted Dustin Sains, but the the next guy, Michael Kirian, he's almost like the opposite of Dustin Sains, where Dustin Sains doesn't have amazing stuff, but he's pretty consistent. Whereas Michael Kirian, he struggles with command, but his pitches, he is like an analytic, analytic, and analysis. What's the word I'm looking for? If you're a baseball nerd, he's your dream just because of what his pitchers can do. So if you can kind of polish him up, he has more upside too. So they did a great job of balancing profiles of players, which I really liked. It seems to me like this was a really good draft class. And like Ryan said, they went very position heavy. So they clearly identified the need and went out and addressed it as best they could. So it was awesome. Let me ask you this. Is Mike Rizzo a lucky drafter? A lucky drafter. Think about it. Um, this is the fourth player who's projected to be a top five pick that fell to him. I suppose Gio- that's certainly lucky. Giolito, Cavelli, uh, Brady House, and Rendon fell at six. Mm-hmm. Bryce and Strauss right there. I mean, sometimes they just like fall in his lap. And I, I'll give him credit. It's pretty, it's pretty, you know, easy to mess that up. And he has it. And Brady House, you know, pans out like he's projected to. That's another great guy. The league just, boop, just put right there for him on a silver platter. Uh, I have no problem criticizing Mike Rizzo. Uh, I've done it on the show. I'll probably do it again as we approach the deadline. I'm not going to criticize him for something that's out of his control. He can't control who's there at the board, but he can hand control, like you just said, who he takes when when they're there. I'm sure the the Nats are probably looking at a, a pitcher, a collegiate pitcher, like they had been mocked in almost any any and every mock draft you had seen mm-hmm. leading up to the draft. Brady House falls, and they're like, holy crap, he's not supposed him. to be here. Let's take him. That's a great job by Mike Rizzo and company. So I'm I'm not going to knock on them or try to be one of these hot take guys like a Skip Bayless or Colin Coward or something to be like, oh, Mike Rizzo is such a lucky drafter. Like I, I do get what you're saying because he has gotten very fortunate and maybe it, it has covered up some uh, um, failures or disappointments in his overall drafting. But for this, he – it seems like he adjusted his strategy because they were looking at pitcher uh, 
a collegiate pitcher similar to what they did with Cavalli last year. And obviously Cavalli is looking great so far, but they clearly readjusted and they didn't just stop there. They didn't just get the one position player first overall and go pitcher heavy thereafter. They, their first three picks were position players and that's awesome to see. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And uh, if you had told me they were going to go for a high school bat in the first round, I would not, <laughs> I would not have given that a lot of credence. But, um, you know, when an opportunity presented itself, they made a good choice, which, you know, heaters, you need to make good choices, too. Summer is here. And whether you've got a dad bod or a six pack, either way, our friends at Manscaped have you covered. They have launched their fourth generation performance package. If you don't have it already, you've heard us talking about it. You need to go check it out. That package includes the lawnmower 4.0. That's right. The 4.0. Trim from the leaders in male grooming. So the man, so all of you men can enjoy, as 2 million other men do worldwide, those products. They are fantastic. I have uh, gotten the whole package for my husband. He absolutely loves it. Um, my, one of my kids ordered one, too, but I'm not going to talk about that. <laughs> um, you, can, you can go get yours. 20% off plus free shipping, both with our code at manscaped.com. Our code is HSHH20. Make sure you go out there and check it out. They've got all kinds of products in addition to the performance package. So if you just need a little something, maybe you've already taken advantage of this deal and you've got yourself the performance package, but you need something else. There's deodorants. There's all kinds of products out there that you are going to want for the hot, sticky summer. So again, our code is HSHH20. That's going to get you 20% off plus free shipping on anything on the website, 20% off and free shipping at manscaped.com. All right, guys. So we have some more draft talk to move on to next. Yes, we were joined by my favorite you know, you know, I got I got three favorites right now. I'm not I know, I was going to say, you better be careful throwing the word favorite around. <laughs> um, William Bohr from MLB Pipeline joined us again. We talked everything draft. He's been very, very busy. It is his Super Bowl, the MLB draft. We went over the draft as a whole. We talked about the Nats draft, Brady House, more names, and just everything in general. And it was another fantastic interview. And we hope you guys enjoy. We're now joined by William Bohr of MLB Pipeline. You guys can give him a follow on Twitter at WBohr. And make sure you head on over to MLB Pipeline's website to keep up with all things Prospect. William, how you doing, man? I'm doing well. A little tired, but doing well. How are you guys doing? <laughs> doing well. I can uh, imagine it's been a pretty busy week for you. It's mock draft season for fantasy football, so it's busy season for me <laughs> as well. So I, I understand that. Um, the draft is now complete. The first round was pretty surprising. We saw some big names fall to the late, um, no, not late, like, you no, know, around the 10th pick or so. We saw some surprises, guys going well before people thought they would. What was the most surprising thing to you in the first round that we saw? And why do you think some of these bigger names fell to where they did? Uh, I think the most surprising pick was probably... Khalil Watson going, dropping all the way down to 16 um, to the Marlins. We we had a mock a lot higher in the mocks that uh, Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo did at MLB Pipeline, just where we had him ranked on our top 250. So it was kind of it was kind of surprising that he dropped to 16. Um, as far as some of the 
bigger names dropping. I think is a combination of things. I think what's important to remember is that the MLB draft is different from the other sports. Um, not only are you combining high school and college talent, but you've got the money, the money thing. Teams will sometimes, you know, pick a lesser, a lesser guy to, you know, sign him for less money and then get better guys later on and give them over slot value. Um, you have signability issues where maybe a guy is good, but you know, he's probably going to go to college instead of signing with you. So you pass on him um, or he'll only go, he'll only sign if he gets X dollar figure and you're not willing to do that. But another team is the MLB draft has these weird wrinkles that I think um, that I think complicate things to people that don't study it or don't follow it as closely. If you're used to watching the NBA draft or the NFL draft, which which obviously are big TV events and a lot of people watch. Um, I think if you just tune in the MLB draft, like, you know, every so often it can kind of get weird when you see like, Hey, he's the next player up on the board. How come it's taking so long for him to get picked? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. And you mentioned Khalil Watson. I wanted to ask about another high school shortstop and that's uh, Marcelo Meyer, who, was thought to be going first of all to the Pirates. They go in a different direction with uh, the catcher out of Louisville. Um, how difficult is it to, or for these front offices and any any scouting departments to evaluate high school talent? Just because on the surface, drafting a 17, 18-year-old and projecting him you know, years down the line, especially in a critical time as these uh, players would get, say, if they went to college, how difficult is it? And, you know, are GMs or front offices shy in, uh, you know, pursuing high school players sometimes? I think, I mean, obviously that's going to vary by, by team and just, you know, in general, some teams, some individuals are more risk adverse than others in sports and just in life. But um, I think with high school players, yes, there's risk. Um, there's also, you know, ceiling because there's a lot of untapped potential because, well, because they're only 17, 18 years old. Um, but I think, I think this year was extra tricky too for some of the high school players, um, coming off of the canceled year and the coronavirus pandemic. Uh, Mm -hmm. some of these college players, obviously their 2020s got canceled too. And a lot of last summer and all that. But a lot of these guys also have been in college for three years. They were, some of them, you know, were scouted out of high school. So even if it was old data, teams had data. Um, you know, some of these high school guys, they didn't play last year and then this year. So it's like, oh, are you off to a slow start because you're not as good as we thought you were or because you haven't played in a long time? Um, and then vice versa, you know, you're really good. I would like to know if this is year two of you being really good, um, but there was no last year or are you just kind of hot right now. So I think with some of the high school players, there's a little bit more unknown in this class or obviously last year's class than there are in a standard class. Mm-hmm. One of the things you mentioned earlier was talking about signability concerns with some of the players. Do you think that the name, image, and likeness rules that just came out in the NCAA, do you think that played any role with some of the kids asking for a higher um, bonus, knowing that if they don't get this, they can go to college and still make money? And do you think there's anything MLB might do to kind of counter 
that new rule in the NCAA to make the minor situation a little bit better? I'm not sure. Um, I think I think we need some time. I think we need to see how how that rule plays out in general um, and just kind of see because it's only you know a few weeks. So I don't even think that rule is a month old yet. Uh, no, it's July first, so it's only like two weeks old. But I think I think especially with the, with some of the top guys. Um, I mean, it's already it's already out there that like let's say Kumar Rocker, for example, got. Six million dollars. I don't think any of these guys are getting seven figures nil money. Um, just because a college baseball isn't as popular as football or whatever, and frankly, mm-hmm. I don't know how many college football players are going to get that type of money. I mean, maybe you know, maybe Trevor Lawrence. Um, you know, if he were still at Clemson, but it's only going to be the big name guys. So maybe it gives them negotiating power in the sense of, Hey, look, I'm not giving up absolutely everything if I don't sign pro, but I think it's probably maybe more of a difference later on. I think some of these first and second round guys, I think the money is so different um, as far as what they're going to get, as far as the signing bonus and the slot value versus what they're going to get on NIL. Like, Marcel or Jackson Job was the first high school player taken that pick value, the slot value for the Tigers at number three is 7.2 million. He's not getting 7.2 million in college. Um, so we'll see. I think, like I said, I think some later guys, it could give them like a little bit of leverage, but I'm not sure it'll be all that much. We'll have to see kind of how it plays out. Like I said, in general and in sports, but like, I guess the big name college football, um, I'm trying to think. We'll see how much, like, even, like, DJU ends up getting. Um, but, yeah, I don't think it's going to be a huge deal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's definitely still new, and I think all sports are trying to figure it out, uh, not just baseball, but it will be interesting to see because it just so happens to be a CBA uh, year, and obviously they're going to be working all off season on a new CBA agreement. I want to transition to uh, a guy that if I, you know, was in a position to offer an athlete uh, some name image likeness money, uh, I would give him all of it because he has the best baseball name I have heard in a long time. And that's Brady house, new Washington national uh, high school guy. Like, like we talked about, uh, you know, a little bit earlier, give us the rundown on Brady house and what are the Nats getting and what can Nats fans expect? Brady House is very exciting. If I was national fans, I'd be very excited about this pick. Obviously, it's going to take some time. Like we said, he's a high school player. Um, but uh, he entered the summer as, you know, the best prospect uh, in the 2021 high school class. Obviously, stock dipped a little bit, but that was more of that was that was some struggles offensively and he's even admitted that he was pressing and he started getting a little too home run happy because well because he could and he was the best player on the field. <laughs> because pretty much everywhere he went he was the best player on the field and he kind of wanted to show that um but i think the important thing to recognize is that he recognized that um so you know, that speaks to his approach, that speaks to his maturity, and then he realized, hey, I became this good because I was sitting back not trying to hit home runs, and I was spraying the ball over the field, so he got back to that uh, for, you know, the second half of the year, 
really showed off his skills, and that's why he's going early in the draft. Defensively, uh, smooth, really strong arm. Um, he can. He's not going to pitch in the pros. He's definitely drafted because of his bat. But, you know, in high school he pitched. He hits mid to upper 90s from the mound. So just to give you kind of an idea of his overall arm strength, um, he's really big. Uh, right now he's 6'4", 215 uh, mm. as a high school player. So I'm not sure – I'm not sure he sticks to short. I think we've eventually got a third baseman. Uh, but even so, the bat play is there. That's fine. Um, obviously, the arm's strong enough. If you can field short, you can probably feel you can probably field third base as long as the arm plays, which his does. So I think I think all in all, it's a really good pick, and I think that someone who in a couple years Nats fans should be really well, they should be really excited now. But I think you'll see him in a few years. Yeah, I was gonna I was gonna ask if you saw him making the move to third base because he's only eighteen, but he's a big boy, like you said. And I feel like that's kind of more of like an Aussie Riley type built. So I was wondering if you were thinking that they were gonna make the switch to third base. Um, but moving on to their second pick, the Nationals went high school bat again in Dalen Lyle. I was reading it on MLB Pipeline, they said kind of, kind of considered him one of the best pure high school hitters in the draft class. What could Nats fans potentially expect out of him? Is Brady and Lyle the two biggest names that we should be um, not surprised, excuse me, happy about in this draft? Well, I think, like you said, a really good pure hitter, um, which is always exciting. And I think especially when you're drafting high school players, you want you want guys that are not one-dimensional just because there's so you want the flexibility there because there's so many ways they can go because they're still 18 if someone's in college and they've established themselves as a power only guy or you know only a gap to gap guy that's one thing because they're a little further in um in their development cycle but uh yeah lyle's another good guy that like like you said good pure hitter 18 years old Gatorade High School Player of the Year, back-to-back years. Uh, so that's obviously exciting. Speaks to his skill set overall. Um, dominated in Kentucky. <coughs> Sorry. Ah. Uh, what was I talking about? Uh, Lyle. Um, controls the strike zone really, really well. Good plate discipline. Um, right now, he's more of a gap-to-gap guy. But he's... You know, he's only 18 years old. He's six foot, 195 pounds. So you've got room to kind of grow, grow into that frame. Um, out, outfielder, he's good, good defensively. Average, average runner, not a ton of speed, but he he gets good jumps and he can play the position well. Um, not a huge arm, so we're probably talking about a left field guy rather than right. Um, but also, he's. He's still a high school guy, so there's a potential that he could strengthen that. But right now, I'd probably be thinking about left field long term. Gotcha. Um, And yeah, like you said, these are both House and Lyle are high school guys. So it'll be a little bit before the Nats fans will see them potentially up with the the big club. Um, But one thing I absolutely love, and I'm sure a lot of fans do, is player comps. And I don't know if you're a player comp guy or if it's too soon to give comps for uh, Brady House and uh, Darren Lyle. But do you have um, a a player comps for for, uh, these two guys? Yeah, I'm not a big comp guy, and frankly, I don't like 
doing it. I think I understand, I understand why fans like it. I understand why people like it because it makes it easy mm-hmm. um, and just gives a right a visual and something that they can, you know, that people can relate to. But I think it's just tough because I think you put expectations on players without trying to. Um, like, I don't necessarily blame people that give out comps. Um, I get what they're doing. I get that they're relating. I get why fans ask for them because not everyone studies a whole bunch of high school kids across the country. Mm-hmm. Um, so comps are quick, easy, digestible. But I also I also feel like now all of a sudden it's like, hey, you said that this was going to be the next, like, Chris Josh Brown and why <laughs> isn't he? And you're like, oh, yeah. I didn't actually say that. Uh, <laughs> I just kind of said they're the same height and weight. Um, like, <laughs> so, yeah, I don't know. I think, I think you get – I think comps get people into more trouble, like, than they're worth. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Yeah, um, ESPN, after the Red Sox took Marcella Meyer, they said he was Christian Yelich offensively and Brandon Crawford defensively. And that poor kid, because that is <laughs> two unreal comps. Yeah, Nash- actually, like we had him as we had Meyer as the best talent entering entering the draft. Like overall, like we think he's good. Why? Why can't we just say, hey, he's really good? Red Sox fans, be excited, and we're excited to see this guy in Fenway in 2025. Um, being like, hey, you're t- the next Christian Yellow. Like what? Now we've told him he's got to win an MVP award. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's kind of like New York media with uh, Jason Dominguez, that poor kid. He like just went to low A and New York media is calling him like the greatest player of all time, potentially. Um, So that's always exciting to see. The Nats came into this draft with one of the worst farm systems ranked. They had not great position player depth. I will say Um, they went pretty heavy in the draft committed to it. Not as committed as the angels were drafting nothing but pitchers. Absolutely (laughs) love that. But how would you grade the nationals draft overall? I think, yeah, you mentioned Dominguez. He pretty much has to Homer every at bat or else he's a bust. (laughs) Um, And some of those need to be five run homers too. But, uh, the Nationals, yeah, like you said, I'm looking right now, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven of their top ten picks were position players. Um, so that's definitely something that they wanted to wanted to bulk up. And one, two, three, four, five, six of those are six of those are college players. So you're definitely um you're definitely trying to go upper level upper levels, more advanced kind of get these through quick. Uh, so it definitely looks like position players were a target, especially early. There's the back half of their draft is a lot more pitcher heavy, but um, overall I think it was a solid draft. I think when you go back to back high school hitters with your first two picks, pick number 11, pick number 47, you're definitely hoping on some upside. And then you get, you know, some of the college guys later on and, in your next, uh, in your day two picks and that you're trying to do, obviously you want upside with everyone, but there you've got a little more of a track record. You've got players who are a little older and maybe, you know, a little bit more of what you've got. So it kind of balances out the overall feel of the class and maybe, uh, minimizes some of the risk. Um, I don't necessarily think it was, you know, the best draft of any team, but that's, 
really not their fault. That's what happens when you pick at 11. Um, I think when you, when you pick in the middle like that, you, it is kind of what it is. And I think overall it's a solid draft relative to their position, if that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, they could only go up from, from where they started uh, with their farm system. And obviously, That's fair too. yeah, they, they had a great, uh, seemingly great pick last year with Cavalli. So hopefully we get some more exciting prospects out of this draft class expanding to all of baseball. Is there a certain uh, draft class, a certain draft, a certain pick that you point to? I know you mentioned Khalil Watson earlier, but is there a certain uh, pick that you really liked for a team or for a player, his landing spot or just a draft class as uh, as a whole? As a whole, I like the pirates draft. Um, I think, you know, people were a little surprised when they went uh, Davis at one, but I think when you look at their overall haul and how they'll be able to, well, how they'll presumably be able to spread out the money and bring in everyone, um, obviously we have to see if they're able to sign everyone, but if they are, then I really like that class as a whole. And as far as picks, um, I really like Ty Madden going 32nd overall. To the I was going to bring him up, yep. Yeah, he's someone who I didn't see falling there. And Detroit's got a lot of, A, he's a college guy, so he's advanced. And you've got a lot of good young pitchers in that system with, uh, you know, Mize, Scooble, Manning. Um, so I think that's actually really intriguing. And the other one I liked is Gunnar Hoglund to the Blue Jays at 19. He's someone who really good, really advanced pitcher. Um, but he had Tommy John this year, so he missed this year. Mm -hmm. Uh, so he's someone who I think would have gone a lot higher if he had pitched, he was on track to go higher in this draft when he, when he was healthy at the beginning of the season. Uh, so Blue Jays, you know, taking a bit of a gamble there, you know, that he'll recover and come back to who he is, but if his recovery goes smooth and he, he returns to who he was prior to the injury, then getting him at 19 is a steal. Yeah, that's normally the uh, Mike Rizzo special, at least pre-Kate Cavalli is that that pitcher that's dealing with a major injury and you shoot for the upside, which, you know, is a common strategy, but it seemed like five years in a row that was, that was the Mike Rizzo strategy. But I, I didn't uh, have my eye on Gunnar Hoglund just in the event that Rizzo went back to his old way, so that's funny. Yeah, he loves those injured pitchers. One of the players I wanted was Kumar Rocker. I was pretty upset that he went the pick before to the Mets. There's a lot of mixed potential reports on him. I see some people saying be a reliever. Some people say he's going to be an ace. I feel like the Mets are kind of a perfect landing spot for Rocker. Um, they kind of have a little good track record of uh, producing <laughs> some pitchers. Do you think that's a really good landing spot for Rocker to maximize his potential? I do, and I also think it's really good for baseball overall. Um, like I mentioned earlier, the baseball draft doesn't get the hype that the NFL and the NBA draft get, um, you know, for obvious reasons. And Kumar is probably one of the most famous college baseball players we've had in a while. Um, obviously, he's not going to go straight to the majors, but he's got some name power and some brand power there that's going to last a little bit. So I think when you get someone like that in a market like New York, um, it could be really good for the sport in two, three years, assuming he develops and becomes as good as a lot of people think he's going to be. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Although Jacob Degrom was originally a shortstop, so maybe uh, this this whole Mets track record thing is just a smokescreen, and <laughs> they really need to draft a shortstop, convert them to pitcher, and then they would be fine. So. Yeah, I mean, like I said, Brady House, upper 90s from the mound. Maybe maybe you guys should uh, make a trade. <laughs> Deal. <laughs> <laughs> um, so my last question for you, it's a two-parter, and I am putting you on the spot with this one. I do apologize. We're, we're a little ways away from these guys making their debuts and making an impact on Major League rosters, but if you just had the – you know, go with a gut instinct. Who do you think is going to be the biggest star out of this draft and who could potentially be the first person to make their major league debut? Ooh, biggest star. Well, okay. So I'm going to kind of take an easy out on this one. We, prior to the draft at Pipeline, we had Meyer rated as the number one prospect as the top talent. So I'm going to go with him. A, for a couple of reasons. A, we had him as the top talent, so that's easy. Um, but also, he's a shortstop. I think for this kind of question, you kind of have to go shortstop. Um, and the fact that he went to the Red Sox, so that he went to a big legendary market. So I think those those three things kind of tie together nicely um, and will make him the biggest star if he goes. Because even if, like, obviously you can be a star in any market, um, and any position, but shortstop and big market definitely help. Mm-hmm. Uh, quickest to the majors. I'm actually going to punt on that one and plug. If you go to MLB.com slash pipeline right now, Jim Callis wrote that story for us last night. He breaks down eight candidates. Um, so I'm going to drive a little bit of traffic to the site and tell you guys to check out Jim's work. That was really well done. That was a that, great that, That's plug. a pro move. <laughs> <laughs> I'll give you a teaser. It's a college guy, not a high school guy. Shocker. <laughs> oh, all right. I'm going to, I'm going to go check it out and everyone else should also William, once again, thank you so much for joining us. It's a pleasure as always talking to you. Um, it's going to be great when we have our fancy football interview and we have you back on for that. Um, <laughs> you guys can give William a follow on Twitter at WBoar. And like he said, make sure you go on over to MLB.com slash pipeline and check out all the latest prospect news. William, thank you so much, man. Yeah, anytime, guys. Yep, take care. Once again, we really hope you guys enjoyed that. William did an absolute fantastic job plugging the website in the middle of that. And make sure you guys go on over to his Twitter account as well and give him a follow and keep up with all the latest prospect news. The thing I love most, and Ryan and I talked about it after the interview, was you could hear the moments as we were finishing our questions. William's already pulling up his spreadsheets and his notes to, to kind of back up what he's about to say. And it's awesome. It He's He's just a true professional, and it was awesome to see. And it was a great time reflecting on the Nats draft with him. But speaking of reflection, let's reflect on the Nats a little bit, if you guys will, uh, uh, you know, humor me. Matt, uh, for those who didn't see it, put out a great piece on the Nats today, just talking about how the season's played out so far. And obviously, we've talked about it a ton. The trade deadline is now only, what, three weeks away? Maybe less than that, not even that. So 
I figured it'd be a good time since we don't have games for a couple more days to, to talk about the Nats and get your guys' thoughts on how you thought this first half would play out, how it has played out, and kind of how you see the second half playing out. Because, again, as we talked about, they're not out of it yet, but we're not really sure if they're in it either. Yeah, it's kind of, as we've discussed many times, it's kind of the worst place to be. You're not out of it, but you're not in it. You know, it's enough to have hope and maybe try to tinker around the edges and see if you can, you know, win this division. And that's kind of how I see the second half playing out. I'd say the first half played out a little, I mean, worse than I hoped, but about how I think could have been expected based on the roster. I mean, we, we discussed in depth at the beginning of the season that they, you know, they hadn't gotten, you know, enough of a power bat to hit behind Soto. That has been, other than Kyle Schwarber's otherworldly performance in June, has been really evident for most of the season. Um, so, on paper, it looked like a, a, a pretty mediocre at best lineup, and I think that's pretty much what we've seen. Um, if Schwarber can come back and start to perform like he did in, in June, if it Strauss can come back and be what be what we need him to be. I don't I just have no idea what to expect from Strasburg at this point. Um, you know, I do think is there a chance they could have a really nice second half and make the playoffs and and yeah, I think there's a chance that could happen. I also think there's a chance they could completely fall apart and miss the playoffs by a ton and have missed the opportunity to restock the farm at the deadline. And I guess that would be, if I have to make a prediction, I think they're going to buy a little bit and see what they can do in the second half, much like they've done before. And maybe they'll catch lightning in a bottle and do something, and maybe they won't. But I don't think we're going to see anything dramatic at the deadline. Which is really disappointing because we are barreling down towards a very, very miserable and long rebuild. Um, The first half, it, it was disappointing. I was not surprised how the first half went. I did not expect this team to be good. Looking at the roster, looking at the analytics of the roster, they played exactly how I expect them to. Below 500, fighting to get above 500. The roster isn't good. Um, you know, everyone keeps saying, well, you know, if they get healthy, if Schwarber can come back, Strauss can come back. You don't know what type of pitcher Steven Strasburg is anymore. Nope. We generally don't. He's pitched 12 innings in the last two seasons. We don't know who he is. Schwarber comes back. Yes, that will help getting the power bat bat, but you cannot expect a career 230 hitter who has hit nothing but solo shots for his entire career to save your lineup. That's not kind of how things work. Um, a lot of people keep throwing around, well, when they're healthy. The problem is no one else in the East is healthy, and the Mets are starting to get healthier. The Nats are going to buy, which is really, really frustrating to me because they're not going to buy anyone that's going to make a difference. The other problem is there's really no one out there who can make a difference that this team can't actually afford. But the reason they're going to buy is the Braves are done. The Braves season is done. I think the Braves are going to sell at the deadline. The Mets still aren't healthy, and the Nats are going to be like, you know what? We have a nice and easy schedule. The problem is the easy schedule is the teams that they are basically the same as. So it's not truly going to be an easy schedule. I feel like there's a lot of smoke and mirrors coming from the the uh, front office right now, and they're just going to know it. Fool's gold. Think this team could be something because they were good for 20-some-odd games, which statistically is an outlier, and they're going to buy, and 
all I'm going to do is just, you know what, hope it works because I don't really think it's going to. Uh, so let me just start off by calling you guys fake fans for not believing in this team. <laughs> You're, yeah, I, I can't do it. We need cheerleading, um, not analysis. Yeah. Thank uh, you. Good baseball. So this is kind of a continuation of my two thoughts speech uh, that I gave last week sometime, and it, it's still going on. This is pretty much how I expected the first half to play out. Maybe not exactly, you know, to a T, but the end result being a couple games under 500, but still within division reach is about what I expected. It's just, it, it's tough to give you an answer one way or another what the second half is going to look like. I agree. I think they want to buy and the schedule leading up to the deadline is not all that difficult outside of San Diego. So it, it leads me to believe that they will buy, but even if they have a, a tough stretch coming out of the break, the question really is, are they going to trade Max Scherzer? No. And at this point, I, I just, I don't see a reality where that happens. And if you're not going to trade Max Scherzer, yes, you have a couple of appealing pieces, but none of them are going to fetch you a, a substantial enough return to make a difference. So the counter to that, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off there. It is a seller's market. No the guys are going to be going higher. The three guys that they could get a decent thing or is max. They get a haul for Brad hand, Daniel Hudson. They're not going to trade any of them, which sucks. Right. They're not. So, I don't think it's going to happen. Yeah. So if you take max out of that equation, the return for hand and Hudson Hand is – his overall numbers aren't that bad, but he hasn't been the most convincing in a lot of his outings. And Hudson's just getting back from injury. And while he's been great when healthy, you don't know. He could easily have uh, a second half where he implodes. Not saying he doesn't have trade value, but they're both on expiring contracts. As a reliever, you're not – yeah, you would get something good for them. You would be able to trade them. They would have value but they're not going to be a future-altering package like Max would be. So I'm not saying you shouldn't trade them, you shouldn't sell, but if you're just taking Max out of the equation, you're almost handcuffing yourself like there's no point of selling. And I'm not yeah. trying to say you buy either, but it, it's just like, it, it's this, it just feels like purgatory. It, it just truly does. Like they're not going to do anything substantial one way or another to, to change the allocation outlook of this team and that's really what needs to be done if it was me if i got marching orders from the learners to build a championship roster and maybe a little bias is, is sinking in so i'll preface with that i'm trying to see if i can put a package together around victor robles to try to get chris bryant and maybe craig kimbrell i understand that's not like me personally, that's not the direction I would go with this team because that's only a Band-Aid for this year and still leaves you probably with even more questions for the future. But if that was my orders, that's the type of move it would take for this team to elevate to that next level. Chris Bryant came out and said if he could only play one position for the rest of his career, he wants it to be center field. He's not as good defensively as Victor Robles. Not many people are. But that bat 
makes a difference in every single lineup. Mm-hmm. And you can add a Craig Kimbrell to the bullpen, which needs help right now. Not terrible, but it, it does need help. Brad Hand slots into a lefty specialist. Craig Kimbrell is your new closer. You still have Hudson coming back. Finnegan's been effective. You have a bunch of role players. That kind of move makes a difference. Will they do that kind of move? No. Because like Ryan said, it's a seller's market, which makes it very, very tough. But, you know, it's just, I I just feel like we're going to be in purgatory and it really, really sucks. Well, I actually uh, agree with your point that if they're not going to sell Max, and I don't think they are, I don't think they're going to trade him. If they're not, it almost doesn't make sense to be sellers because, <clears throat> sorry, excuse me, because you don't have enough other pieces that would be, you could get some nice things, but you're not going to get anything that's, that's going to be a difference maker. So I do almost feel like we're all digress, you know, we're all, I'll, I'll digress a bit from your position was, I'm not saying that means they should buy. If they're going to buy, and I get the distinct feeling that Rizzo wants to buy. Mm-hmm. And if they're going to buy, I want them to buy big. Go get somebody like Chris Bryant, somebody that's going to make a difference. If you're going to keep Max and you're going to sacrifice whatever haul you could get for him and say, hey, we're going to go all in on the second half of this season and try to do something here, then go big. Go do something that's going to make a difference. I would love to see Chris Bryant on this team. And, I mean, any bullpen would benefit no matter how good your bullpen is from getting Craig Kimbrell. The problem is... If the Nats are going to buy big, they have to make sure those pieces are going to be here long-term. If yeah. they buy big on rentals, congratulations, you just set yourself back five more years. They have to make sure they extend them. I think the Nats should do a buy-sell. I would love Chris Bryant be a national. Trade for him. Extend him. Trade Max Scherzer. Do a buy-sell. Set yourself up for the future in multiple ways. You plug up a nice hole in your lineup for a while. And you get a good thing back in the farm system. If you want to bring back Max, you can, but they're going to buy, and it's going to be like a Struble Cabrera or Escobar out of Arizona, and I don't think that'll be enough. But before the second half starts, do you guys think the Nationals can make the playoffs? I do. I don't think they will necessarily, but I think they could. I think they could I don't think well. it's outside the realm of possibility. I don't think they're going to go far, but I think they can make the playoffs. Yeah, Legitimate contender, no. Make the playoffs, yes. The East is so wide open. Exactly. The Phillies cannot get it together. I have no faith that they will. The Marlins, while better than the record would indicate, are not a legitimate contender for the division. Uh, the Braves, we just talked about last last week with Ronald Acuna down. Their Hot mess. future outlook for this year is so up in the air that they might sell, and if they do you can, in theory, take them out of the equation. So it's really just the Mets. And while the Mets have played phenomenal baseball, considering what they've had to go through this year, they're beatable. You can beat them if you're if you are at full health and you have the reinforcements in place. So they can make the playoffs. I, d- I don't have a lot of faith in them to make it run, but they can make the playoffs. And I, I could be wrong. don't think they can. Just straight up, this roster is not good enough. I think the Mets run away to the division and win by double-digit games. They're getting healthy, and I think that's going to be it. Um, But shifting gears, as we end every single episode, we end with our one big 
thing. You guys have anything for the one big thing heading into the second half? Hmm. I think my only one big thing would be while I am a little pessimistic about whether this roster and, and again, something could change massively at the deadline, either buying or selling wise. So this may be moot a couple of weeks from now, but I think my one big thing is that even if, even if they're a little mediocre and even if it's frustrating, I do love the fact that I root for a baseball team that is always relevant there's nothing worse than, I mean, as somebody who's also been a Washington football team fan my whole life, like seasons where you don't care halfway through the season because there's no shot and they're not fun to watch and there's nothing, you know what I mean? There's nothing worth rooting for. So I guess my one big thing, to, to put it more succinctly, is as frustrating as this purgatory can feel, it's we're still lucky to root for a team that's always trying to be relevant, and that's not nothing. I will counter that by saying purgatory is the worst place you can be in in sports. Yeah, I suppose. Is it worse than a team that sucks for 20 years? Yes, because at least you have direction. In purgatory, you do not have any direction. You're stuck in mediocrity, and it's the worst thing you can actually do. Yeah, but do. a team that doesn't ever try to win or doesn't care, I think that's worse. But you understand that where your team is going. Like, the Tigers have been tanking for years. The Tigers have the third best farm system in baseball and had one of the best drafts their fans know they're going to be good in a couple of years. Like the Padres were terrible for a very long time. Now look at them. Know what I mean? Like when you're that tanking team, you know, it's coming when you're in purgatory, it's just frustration. And like, you're just not good. The like Astros being purg- too, for that matter. Yeah. Astros tanked more than more so than anyone. And they got up to a Correa Springer and uh Bregman out of their tank. And that's their core. It works. Nick, you have anything? Uh, it, it, it just, it feels like I can't really provide a a thought and opinion until I see the deadline. Um, I think if I had to put my money somewhere, it would be on those low level additions that don't move the needle, at least for me, that the scopes, the Escobars, the Cabreras of the world, while would be a welcome addition to this lineup because this lineup has so many holes just it doesn't make you a contender. And if that happens, I'm going to be more pissed because this team does not have a future as currently constructed. Their last best year, if you can even say that, if it hasn't already passed, would be next year. Bell's in a contract year. Trey's in a contract year. You don't even know if we would have Max in this equation. We don't know if we would have Shorber in this equation. So it's like... And then you get it another year older with Strauss and Corbin. So it's like this team doesn't have a future as currently constructed. It's very murky. So if you want to go all in for one last ride, do it. I'm I'm on board. Would you be back in on the season if they go crazy and buy? And Absolutely. Like, Absolutely. Because at that point, they're admitting, hey, we're going to push all our chips in the middle of the table, have – put all our, you know, money on this season and we know what's coming. The Nats love kicking the can down the road. So this would be a move to try to make it happen this year and know you're going to be in for a world of hurt maybe the year after or two years later, as opposed to if you didn't do anything now, you might not hurt as much in two years, but you, you wouldn't have that ceiling either. So it's like, 
if they choose to to go crazy and bite the deadline, yeah, I'm back in. But just as long as they have an eye on, hey, you know, this was kind of it. We, we've played our last hand before we need to kind of just fold it and, you know, maybe play a new game with a new team or something like that. Yeah, and I know we're supposed to be wrapping up here, but that raised a question in my mind, which is it's hard to even imagine them. Like, what if they go crazy and buy at the deadline and then Strauss comes back and he sucks and, you know, or Corbin can't get it together. Do you know what I mean? It almost feels like if you don't know what you're going to get from those guys, then it doesn't even make sense to try a let's go all in and try to make it work. Like if, if Strauss and Corbin were both, and Max were all nails this whole season and you're like, you know what? We've got the pitching. Let's go Similar get the Similar to what 2019 was. And that's right. the, the big thing people are missing when they try to compare this team to 2019 is the pitching right. is not Corbin there. is not 2019 Corbin. And as you pointed out, I made an excellent point earlier. We don't know who Steven Strasburg is anymore. I mean, he's barely pitched in two years. And we have no idea when he comes back what he's going to look like. I mean, is, is the rust going to last for months? Is it going to be like a spring training length? I don't know. I'm the, Strasburg's comeback or what he's going to look like terrifies me yeah and that's why you know this is my final point the only direction that makes sense for this team is to trade max scherzer and i don't think that there's any scenario where they do it but it's the only thing that makes sense i think if they if he was going to come back if they had talked to him and said hey we're going to trade you get a haul and then sign you back in the offseason i think they might do that but it sounded to me like they said if he goes anywhere he wants a deal so he's not coming back here if they trade him. And that's well, why I don't think they're going to do it. I don't think he should come back anyways. That's a completely different conversation. <laughs> um, I'm also in the camp. They should sell regardless. But if they trade for someone like Chris Bryant, the nut would be pleased. I would say <laughs> it would still be an absolute massive mistake. Um, my one big thing after the strike in the 90s, baseball was dead. You know what saved it? The steroid era. Baseball hasn't been doing very well lately. It's a lot of negative press. Not a lot of people are caring about it. The younger generation isn't. But baseball has its saving grace. Shohei Otani. And baseball needs to market the living hell out of him because Shohei Otani is going to save baseball. You probably like, well, Ryan, that's so stupid. The 10 most watched games this year are all Angels games. Attendance is up when the Angels are on the road. Attendance is up very much so for the Angels and on the road when Shohei Otani pitches. The home run derby when Shohei Otani was hitting averaged more viewers during Otani's round than the NBA Finals did. Shohei Otani is baseball's key to coming back to its popularity. They need to market the hell out of him because when he does absolutely anything, look who posts it. MLB, I'm sorry, not MLB, Bleacher Report, ESPN, SportsCenter, House of Highlights, all those big accounts that don't really pay attention to baseball, post Otani, and it does numbers. MLB has its key. They better not screw it up because so far they're doing a really good job. They are doing a really good job embracing Tatis and Otani, and they need to keep it up because Otani is saving baseball. That is my one big thing. So you're saying Shohei Otani is steroids. Yes, because he's an absolute freak and people are paying attention to him. That's the biggest part. Baseball struggles with getting people to pay attention and acknowledge what they're doing. People are doing that with Shohei Otani. People who don't really care about baseball. That's the big thing. Oh, yeah. I am infatuated with Shohei Otani. I will watch anything he does. He is just absolutely unbelievable. I think you're right. He is. 
he is the way back to the mainstream for a sport that does a terrible job of, of marketing their stars. And I hope that they'll take some of what they're doing with Otani and expand it. They have other really great marketable talents and marketable personalities. And uh, they just need to do a better job. And you're right. They are doing a good job with Otani. And all they need to do is apply that more widely, I think. Yeah. They just got to figure out who deserves it. And they got it right so far with Otani and Tatis. But that will wrap things up for this best time of the year with the draft, the trade deadline. My second favorite thing besides draft is trades. Once again, you guys can follow the Half Street High Heat Twitter account at Half Street High Heat. Head on over to our website as well. And make sure you guys check out the T Public site. Nick posted some fantastic All-Star Game shirts. And we're always, always publishing new gear and new swag. And yeah. Here's hoping for a good second half and an even better trade deadline. Good night. Good night. Let's go next. There's a new breeze blowing off the banks of the Potomac. A new team's mowing down the ranks of their opponents. The Nationals are smashing balls so that the commentator who has the calls has passed the wall to see you later. By the early light of dawn, well you can see they're running scared Cause the kinds of bombs we're launching are bursting in the air Tell the Library of Congress that they might not want to look Cause we're putting curly W's in every book Let's go Nats, we've got a game to play A 2018 study showed half of prenatal vitamins tested had unacceptable levels of heavy metals. I'm Kat, mother of three and founder of Ritual. When I was four months pregnant, I couldn't find a prenatal I could trust, so I created my own. Ours is made traceable, third-party tested for heavy metals, and recently earned the Purity Award from the Clean Label Project. But don't just take my word for it. Get 25% off at ritual.com podcast. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. 
book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.